0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When independent federal agencies move forward with so-called major rules, those with big economic implications, they're supposed to do so after a cost-benefit analysis. A seemingly small change to federal regulating from the Office of Management and Budget promises to tighten the reins on agencies that might otherwise pretend that their rules won't have much of an impact, and there are instances right now where this rule will make a big difference. Ike Brannon is co-author of a new article in Regulation Magazine about the new rule.
1: The OMB issued a rule that requires uh, independent agencies to uh, submit cost-benefit analyses to OIRA, the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs, for every major rule that they undertake. And they also require that it uh, consult with OMB in the determination of whether or not a rule is major. Um, I think this is important for a couple of different reasons, the first is that uh, an, an, until this period uh, happened, Most of these guys would uh, cavalierly ignore any kind of cost benefit analysis. They would do whatever they saw fit, and they didn't feel compelled to run anything by uh, the OMB. Uh, the second thing is when they were uh, finally compelled to do to, to do a cost benefit analysis for OMB, a lot of times they would try to get around it. This is what other agencies do too by. Basically, pretending that a rule wasn't major, they'd fiddle with the cost and all that, and say, "Well, it's not really major; it's under 100 million dollars." And this is supposed to compel them to consult with OIRA to determine or not determine whether or not a rule is in fact uh, significant. So it's closing down a couple of their avenues for avoiding regulatory scrutiny and I think this is really going to have a lot of uh, impact on uh, how people do things just for the clarity of people
0: who don't follow regulatory stuff that closely um when a rule is deemed to have what is it 150 million
1: dollars in costs uh, it it, sh- it should be 150 million if we adjusted for inflation but it's still just 100 million dollars
0: okay so um, and if it has that amount of uh of costs Uh, a cost-benefit study must be conducted on that regulatory rule. That's right. What what hurdles does that cost-benefit analysis create, or what what hurdles should it create?
1: When a a regulatory agency does their cost-benefit analysis, they have to show that the benefits of a regulation easily outweigh the costs involved. And they submit this cost-benefit analysis to... um, OMB's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, uh, OIRA, as we call it, um, and they have to determine whether or not that that uh, cost-benefit analysis is is valid if it if it makes sense if they they stuck to the rules. And uh, you know, I, as someone who used to work at uh, OIRA, I can tell you that a lot of times the regulatory agencies will uh, don't don't take that requirement all that seriously, uh, especially if if the administration is sympathetic to whatever. The rule is that they are um, undertaking. It just so happens that the current regulatory, uh, the current administration is uh, very much in favor of a deregulatory regime and so they're taking cost benefit analysis very seriously. and uh, They are very vigilant about making sure that people don't play fast and loose with their cost benefit analysis. So,
0: for rulemaking, for the volume of regulation that is cranked out of the federal government on a regular basis, what what might that change mean? The idea that they would have to consult uh, with uh, OMB when they when they're crafting these rules.
1: So it it means that agencies like uh, CFPB or the SEC uh, or the Federal Reserve are going to have to. Uh, come up with valid cost-benefit analysis to, if they want to do the regulation, regulatory actions that uh, they propose. And and since April first, as we uh, noted, there have been a few rules that have been sent back saying that these clearly aren't justified by any uh, cost-benefit analysis. Now, th- one of the things that I think is going to make this a real test is that uh, coming up, uh, the Federal Reserve. Uh, is putting something in front of um, OMB uh, that uh, would basically, basically the Federal Reserve wants to create a real time check clearing service that would compete with the private sector. This would cost them about $800 million to do. Uh, It would take them four to five years before they're able to roll it out. And in the meantime, it will bring a, uh, a measure of Stasis in the market for real time check clearing. And I think this is in a very important issue because real time check clearing would mean that somebody who is kind of on the margin of, uh, of earning enough to, to live, instead of having to worry about getting a paycheck on Friday and hoping uh, against hope that it's going to actually be in their account and cleared by Monday or Tuesday, they'll be able to get that money on Friday. And so, what this holds the promise of is taking millions of people who can't really rely on banks right now and getting them in the banking sector. And what the Federal Reserve's actions actually are going to do is go against that. They're going to bifurcate the market, they're going to keep uh, thousands of banks from acting on this until they see what kind of prices the Fed acts. And even when the Federal Reserve gets in, these two systems aren't going to be interoperable, which means we could end up with a balkanized check clearing system where uh, you don't know, you can't be certain whether or not the check you get and deposit is going to be cleared in 10 minutes or it's going to take three or four days like it does right now. So the Federal Reserve has, has submitted this to OMB and what they've claimed is that this is not actually a rule. This is a new product they're rolling out. It should not be subject to any kind of cost benefit analysis and they're going to go ahead and do this. And so... I think this is a real test of what Ross Vaught, the acting director of OMB, rolled out on April 1st to determine whether or not he's going to allow some kind of what I think is a quasi-loophole uh, t- to the Federal Reserve to avoid this uh, this regulatory scrutiny. And if, and if it works here for uh, the Fed and they, they don't have their actions scrutinized, then a lot of other people are going to come up with different names for whatever the regular, regulatory activities are.
0: What's the argument that this isn't a regulatory activity at all i mean certainly it does have an impact on what is otherwise a, a private market but uh what is the federal reserve claiming
1: the, the federal reserve thinks that there should not be a monopoly in this and and they also have, have said at various times that they believe they get some kind of useful data from playing an active role in the check clearing market and that's certainly uh Something that Alan Greenspan said when he was questioned by Congress as to why uh, the Federal Reserve uh, continues to do this. I think the reality is that the Federal Reserve employs a thousand people to clear checks, and if the clearinghouse develops a real-time check clearing service that goes to all the banks, no one's going to use the Federal Reserve anymore, and that wouldn't be a bad thing at all. The Federal Reserve uh, does a lot of things well, like. Monetary policy, and it doesn't do things very well that involve being in the private sector and acting like a uh, like a private entity, like like clearing checks. And I think um, the notion that the Federal Reserve is going to be regulating a market and also being an actor in the market creates all kinds of conflicts of interest, and it's going to be counterproductive to the ultimate goal of real time check clearing. I think this is a real problem. Uh, George uh, Selgin from Cato has written quite cogently about this, and I think this is a real issue that people have to uh, watch in the next few years. Ike Brannan is a
0: senior fellow at the Jack Kemp Foundation. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.